When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylobiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Vanessa, I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this episode, which I can only describe as delightful. Totally. It was such a fun conversation and I've never giggled so much in my entire life. And who would have thought? I mean, it is an episode about penises. And so maybe there's some giggling to be had, but this is the best conversation because it balances incredible information, super fun facts that many of us, I didn't know a lot of these fun facts. And a topic, an anatomical topic that is often a third rail topic, the penis. So, I mean, I can't wait for our listeners to listen. Just a word about our guest, David, who is a PhD. He's a professor at the Georgia Institute of Technology, and he studies the interactions of animals with water. And he discusses that actually in the beginning of the episode, he gets into his whole path through his PhD and his dissertation and what he looked at and then how he got to this book, The P Word. But what I love is this description of him from his bio. David has discovered how dogs shake dry, how insects walk on water, and how eyelashes protect eyes from drying. So now there are three more topics for us to invite him back. I know, he's got to come back. He is the winner of the 
Ig Nobel Prize in Physics. He won the National Science Foundation Career Award and the Pineapple Science Prize. His research has been featured, I mean, so many places, The Economist, New York Times, Science Friday, Saturday Night Live, and Highlights for Children. I love that he, he lists that. And he is just a phenomenal scientist slash storyteller. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Have fun. Hi, David. Hey, Vanessa. We're so excited to have you here. The listeners cannot see, but I'm holding up this picture book that is going to become my new go-to preschool and kindergarten, first grade, early reader recommendation. It will be the gift I give kids and parents, regardless of their gender. It is called The P Word, a manual for mammals. And it is more than a picture book because there are a lot of words in it. But we're going to get deep into it because it's unlike anything that I've ever read. Kara loves this book so much. She's like, David, I don't know if you know this, but she's like generally a fairly level person without a lot of like fluctuation. (laughs) When she talks about this book, she's like losing her mind. And we're going to go deep into the book, but I will explain why it's so amazing and why Carl loves it so much because isn't the most perfect combination of science, storytelling, and explanation about things that people don't normally talk about. Namely, the penis. I mean... I live in a house with three boys, so penises get a lot of airtime, a lot of airtime. You have a son, and I want you to share, David, like the origin story of the book, and Kara has a son. So there are a lot of penises in our household. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know if that's like an inappropriate thing to say. I hope it's okay. But nice people, but also they have penises because my kids use that as an insult too. So David, tell (laughs) us about yourself. Tell us who you are, because your origin might actually be a little bit unexpected. And then we can talk about how this book came to be. Uh, I grew up in Maryland. and um, That's not the unexpected part. (laughs) I've been uh, training in math and physics and engineering for my whole life. I have a PhD from MIT um, in math. In penises. There's a censored (laughs) picture of two water starters having sex in my thesis, but uh, I'd censored so you can't see any kind of genitals. <laughs> it only <laughs> took Vanessa two and a half minutes to get you to reveal censored content. That's incredible. Yeah. But there will not be any profanity in this episode, David, because I want every single person to listen to what you have to say, including little people who should not be hearing me swear. So I'm going to censor yeah. myself today. So engineering, mathematics, what was your dissertation on? It was how insects walk on water. Oh awesome. my God, how cool. You'll have to come, come back, back and we'll do a whole episode <laughs> yeah, yeah. on that. that yeah, we built a phenomenal. robot that uh, balanced itself on the water, just like these insects. And they work totally different from boats. You know, boats use something called buoyancy. They kind of have a net density that's lower than water, so they float. But these insects are actually heavier than water. They're like metal. But if you can balance them really carefully. They use this force called surface tension. It's the same force that bubbles stay round. And when waves go across the pond, they generate these waves. But uh, these insects, they can get as big as your hand. There's these giant Vietnamese water striders. 
that are left over from Oof. prehistoric times that are really pushing the envelope for how big you can support things on the water surface. Oh my wow. God, that's so cool. So from insects walking on water to penises, it's a direct yeah. line. But there was some mating pictures in my thesis. So, <laughs> Do they walk on water while mating? Yeah, in fact, there's something called the safety factor. The insects have to have a safety factor of at least two to make sure that they can mate because they do everything on the water surface, including mating. Huh. So wow. it's like dragonflies fly and mate, right? And these insects. Yeah, these water striders, there's about 1,200 species all over the world. I mean, they they do everything. They eat, they sleep, they stand on the water surface and all with this surface tension. So they have to mate there too. That is so Safety cool. first. I like that it's called the safety factor. <laughs> yeah. That speaks to me. Yeah. Car, it makes Cara feel safe and calm. It really does. But it's, it's super slippery there too. I'm this uh because their legs are really hydrophobic. They're just sliding. It's like trying to Oh, that's so interesting. Mate I always when you're think wearing of them ice as... skates. That's, what oh. that's basically what it's like. I've never thought about doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and you should not do that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> With a cross current coming at you. I was just thinking about a and slippery bathroom floor. And fish trying to and eat And fish you. trying to eat. It's like, a, it's like an obstacle course. Okay. So how do we get from that dissertation to a book all about penises and mammals' penises? Walk us through your journey, David. Well, I've always been interested in biology. And even in middle school, elementary school, high school, we've me and the other people in my class, we've been talking about penises for a long time. But it really came to pass when I became a father. I have a daughter and a son. My son was born 2011, so he's 12 now. But uh, I think I entered the sort of the realm of penis notoriety when I basically published a paper on how long it takes animals to pee. Which is one of my favorite pages in your book. I mean, Cara uh, squealed when she got to that page in your book. She was like, yes. Thing. Never thought about how long different animals take. Yeah, to yeah. Pee. they have different sized bladders. Uh, that's the vessel that holds the pee. Uh, for example, a human, were you know maybe at most a hundred kilograms, uh, but an elephant is eight thousand kilograms. It's like having eighty people in a room at once, <laughs> uh, all peeing, <laughs> all peeing through the same hole. And you imagine if you have eighty people peeing through the same hole, it would take longer, right? Because it's a uh, it turns out elephants have smaller bladders than you expect. They have their bladder is about a hundred times a cat's bladder, so it's about twenty liters. It's like hmm. a kitchen garbage can. Wow, this is. I just. I never want this episode to end, David. I'm like learning <laughs> so much. And what about? Is there like a physics to it, like the velocity? Oh no, was it velocity about peeing that's in the book, or velocity about? No, the, yes. Yeah, there's no. Isn't it the ejaculation? speed that you have compared in the book? I mean, we're jumping way ahead. Yeah, Sorry, there's I a table of um, different sort of like the high speed club for people. There's sneezing, ejaculation, farting, uh, and they're all in the club. I mean, and let me say those are, those are several of the favorite topics in, in our house. house. Yeah, yes, 100%. Correct. So you have a son and he has penis. And at what point did you decide to take it upon yourself to create an educational tool for everyone and their sons and daughters out there. It was it that you realized at some point that there was nothing and you were trying to educate him. Were you searching for it? Were you like, how did it come about? Yeah. I mean, kids, they talk about their body functions all the time. 
and uh, on the internet, uh, there's not that much really content that's appropriate for their age level, and that's fun. The big thing is any content that talks about the penis usually goes right into sex, but there's a whole, you know, 20 years that they're going to carry this thing around, and they're not going to use it for sex, and they're going to have questions about it. Yep. So I wanted to make something fun because it's fun for them to talk about the penis. I mean, they enjoy it and it's a big part of their lives. Um, mm. And they also, sometimes they feel ashamed to talk about it and mention it, even though it's part of their body. So I wanted a book that was fun for them and would teach them some things and make them proud of being you know, a penis owner. Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. That's how Oom Socks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myoomla.com. Vanessa. We literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box, and I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky. And I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. <laughs> and it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. 
And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. I was in a car with five... 13-year-old boys who love to pepper me with questions because they know I talk about puberty all day long. And they were like, so like, is vagina a bad word? Can I say that? And I was like, no, guys, it's a scientific word. And they were like, what's the scientific word for penis? And I was like, penis. (laughs) We're like, oh, so that's okay for us to say? And I said, yes, that's okay for you to say. And it's like, they have internalized that it's you can't talk about it or it's shameful or you talk about it in a way that's like subversive or that you're going to like make someone uncomfortable or piss someone off or, you know, like get in trouble at the dinner table. But really what you're doing, David, is you are normalizing conversation about a part of the body in such a wonderful, inclusive way. And I mean inclusive in terms of like what it does besides its role in reproduction. Well, and maybe part of it is because you start from the premise that it hangs outside the body, right? So <laughs> there's that. I think that's what drives this confusion about is it okay to talk about or not is it's this part of the body that's both visible and invisible. It's outside, but it's always covered and hidden. And, you know, it is the punchline of at least 40% of the jokes in a house with kids who are in middle school. I mean, there's just maybe- Farts are the other 60%. Yeah, exactly. I was going 60, 40 on that. (laughs) What is very sensitive too, that's probably maybe part of the reason. Very sensitive. David, do we know why, like do all mammals, because I want to get at this topic that you chose that it's like about all mammals and their penises. Do we know why the penis, I know why the testicles hang outside, but like, Do we know why the penises are engineered the way they are engineered, not for the purpose of reproduction, like when they're erect and stuff, but like, I'm just wondering if we know anything about the 
Why doesn't a penis retract entirely inside? Is that the question? Yeah. That's a good question. So other animals besides mammals have penises. Uh, Snakes have penises. Um, A lot of these animals, I guess you can say they discovered that sexual reproduction is going to generate a lot more diversity and give them a lot of benefits really, really early on. So lots of animals have something that looks like a penis. Among the mammals, I mean, there's some a lot of mammals that actually their penises are much more hidden. For example, uh, dogs, um, the cats. red rocket. Oh yeah, <laughs> or the pink lipstick. That's what they called in my house when the dog when the never like, heard that penis yeah. comes out. Yes, yeah. sorry, and it's pink, that was uh, not for scientific. a reason. I mean, the, when they're pulling it out, it's like a, it's it's like not like a gun, but they. They want people to pay attention. Other, yeah. Other oh, so dogs. the pink, the very shiny pink object emerging, yes, is visible for a reason. Right. Because yeah. there's monkeys, you said that have blue penises? No, blue testicles, yeah. blue scrotal sacs. Blue scrotums and a red red penis. Yeah. So They're very patriotic. That's a neon sign if ever there was <laughs> yeah. one. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. So yeah, yeah. So we're from primates. And primates, um, like, we basically use it for communication. I mean, like that red velvet monkey with this, uh, you know, red, white, and blue star-spangled banner um, <laughs> genitals. Um, those are meant for communication. And uh, we let it hang out. A lot of primates, they communicate with each other through it. They touch it and things like that. They, I mean, it's, um, it's part of their social messaging system. Ours hangs out because we're primates. And the other animals that have it hang out also, uh, usually it's for some kind of communication purposes. So it's not just 12-year-old boys who use it as social communication with their hands down their pants. <laughs> I have a 13-year-old, no, yeah, David. I'm not talking about your son. I would never yeah. assume anything about your child. Well, I'm sure he does that, my... <laughs> um, But yeah, these animals could basically, I mean, they never evolved language. Like they never evolved like complex, you know, paragraphs and things like that. So the more ways they could sort of demonstrate nuance, they got to figure out if someone's lying to them, if someone really means something. The more ways they can do that, the better. And the better they'll communicate with their clan and other outside members. And let's just start with peeing as a form of communication, because that's, you know, one huge category. There isn't just the fact that the penis carries urine from you know, urine, I'm just going to do the quick walkthrough. You do it in your book beautifully so that kids understand where urine comes from. But the kidneys make urine and then it's stored in the bladder and then it comes out the urethra and it is sprayed into the world. There's a fantastic chart in the book about (laughs) how to be thoughtful about where you pee if you're a human peeing in a bathroom. Like if you pee on the seat, please wipe it up. I mean, so many gems in this book that are never, (laughs) ever, ever in any book. I feel like I want to get it, you know, to every award circuit out there. But you talk about spray in the wild. You talk about marking. You know, I think about marking when I walk my dogs, but you talk about it with other animals. I'd love to hear about that. And then how urine is in marine mammals is spread in ocean water is another sort of form of communication and also nutrition. That's right. So uh, doctors call urine liquid gold because it has so much to tell about the body. I mean, think about the last time you ate asparagus and just an hour later, um, you smelt it. And that's only because asparagus has special molecules that our noses can detect. But um, dogs and a lot of other animals, they're not vision-based like us. Like we're we're descended from primates. We pretty much eat fruits. So we look with our eyes, but 
a lot of the animal world, the mammal world out there, they smell the world around them. And they've got a smell. And urine is basically one of the primary ways they can communicate. They can figure out the gender, maybe if an animal's um, ready for mating, uh, what they ate, how healthy they are, who they're related to. Because it's liquid gold, they're very precious with it. They don't just throw it down the sewer. They put it in the most prominent places available, like you would put a billboard or a sign. And unfortunately, well, a lot of dogs find they want to put it in the same places. So like the neighborhood watering hole, like a... <laughs> the same poor tree or the same mailbox, uh, they'll all mark that same place and they'll do it regularly to sort of broadcast their territories, um, their home ranges. It always cracks me up. I'm like, don't you want to pick a new place? Like that corner of that building is like really gross at this point and overpopulated. Like, don't you want to like, you know, strike out on your own and find a new place to, I mean, I lived in New York city for 20 years and I swear to God, it's just like the whole city smells like dog piss and it's all in the same locations. So why don't people do that? Because we're visual. Oh, we do, but we don't do it with our pee. We do it with um, like our billboards and social messaging and other kind of signs because that area is so frequented. They know all the other dogs are going to go there. And the whole point of peeing there is so other dogs can smell it. So it's like you have that, imagine you have that intersection with four gas stations or something like that. Yeah. That's that's how that kind of thing happened. Um, And they've got to overmark. They've got to mark over the other dogs to sort of show their dominance. It's like that why everyone wants to sit on the same table at the cafeteria rather than like. It's it's eighth grade. I mean, that's what it is. And not only do they choose the same location, but there's a lot communicated in where the pee is. So dogs, for example, will do the, you've probably seen the three-legged stance. They'll pee as high as possible. And they've shown little dogs, they'll contort their body in these strange postures to pee even higher. Little dogs will have to raise it like higher. Bears and pandas are known to even go in a handstand to pee, you know, four feet up the tree. Oh, come um, on. Yeah, to basically make other animals sort of afraid for them because they, you know, you pee at your spot one foot up, then you see there's a pee spot five feet higher. You go, oh my gosh, that's such a flex. Oh, (laughs) that is so fat. All I do all day is send my 17 year old panda videos from Instagram, and I'm going to need to find one of a panda standing on their hands and peeing on a tree because that's amazing. What about sloths? Because you have a sloth in the book. Well, like, how do sloths pee? Do they just let it dribble down their bodies as they hang there? So if you're a mammal living in a tree, it's really important that you don't sort of give away your position because they're, you know, cougars, jaguars, and things like that climb the tree. Sloths, so their um, relationship with pee and poo is actually necessary for them to live. So there's a big controversy of how sloths actually get enough energy to live because they look at the leaves they were eating. They said, hey, these leaves actually don't have very much nutrition. And uh, we're calculating, but they're only getting not even enough nutrition. So they should be dead, even though they're moving mm. really slowly. And so they resolved this controversy actually filming these sloths for their lifetimes. And they found that, so sloths will basically hold their feces in their bodies for an entire week. And oh on a weekly God. basis, wow. they'll climb down to the bottom of the tree, which is quite dangerous for them. And they'll put their poop there and their pee there. And then they found that there's this moth, a species of moth that only lives in the sloth's fur. It's not found anywhere else in the world. And at that time, the moths go down and lay their eggs in the poop. And then every week, they basically take this trip, this bus trip back down, and those larvae will hatch and go back into the fur. So now, the funny thing is the sloths are not eating the moths. 
the moths live their entire lives in the fur and they actually die there. And so you've seen all those algae that are growing on the on these sloths, like they're kind of looking green. Yeah. They, 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 the algae are eating the moths' bodies and the sloths are eating the algae. Oh my okay. God. You know, <laughs> when I walk my dogs, I'm often very grateful that I'm not a dog, but now I'm very grateful that I am not a moth that resides on a sloth. That I mean, that's only that you need the poop to survive. I um, mean, that is like the worst freeloading situation I have ever th- heard. There's nothing free about that free- <laughs> freeloading situation. Okay. So we've done pee. We've done pee and poop a little bit. We've just touched Which on does poop. not come out of a penis. No. FYI for people, younger people. That's listening. an entire lesson in anatomy for young oh, kids. Yeah. David, but, you need yes. to do anuses next. My daughter, she is saying uh, she pees out of her vagina. I said, no, you don't pee out of your vagina. You actually pee out of urethra. But uh, she's 11. And I bet, to be honest, she's average for most girls. Most girls oh, don't know. David, okay. we... Girls, adults. Yes. we. The most shocking fact we share when we teach is that if you are genetically female, you have three holes. You have a urethra, a vagina, and an anus. People can't believe that fact, people of all ages, it is really remarkable. Yeah, it just, we need to have so much more education out there. Well, uh, you know what yes, your next book is, David. <laughs> Vanessa just, she's pitching you, it right now. You don't, editors everywhere. You don't pee out of your vagina. Okay, so let's get to the sexual reproduction part of the book, which I want to start by saying deepest appreciation for writing about an organ and really focusing on the different jobs that it does without conflating those jobs from the start. So, you know, the penis is extraordinarily important for pee. And that is a very big topic and could have been a whole book. And you you almost didn't even need to get to reproduction. I'm glad you did because that, you would have been missing the back half of the story, but they're different stories. They're different stories. So will you talk a little bit about, and this is something we teach a lot about, but I'd love to hear it from you. Will you talk a little bit about having one organ that has two totally parallel sets of responsibilities? So for the first many years of life and for the whole life, it is basically, it needs to transport the urine out of the body. And um, one of the nice, I guess, design features about that is that because it's curved and it's long, boys can pee standing up and they so can- So jealous. I think there's a device that allows female soldiers to do that. So my sister was obsessed. So I'm one of four kids, two boys and two girls. And my sister for many years was irate that she couldn't stand up and pee. So there was a certain point where she was doing a program in the wilderness. And my mom bought her these special like cones that you could hold up, I guess, under your urethra and you could pee standing up. I don't know how successful she was at using them, but you think there's something even more advanced now because i'm going out to buy it i think they were they were similar to cones okay um but uh that's a that's untapped market (laughs) that is an untapped market okay literally after you write the book about vaginas and urethras then david we're gonna create a peeing standing up technology okay or at least some training i think maybe with some practice it could probably no there's no practice involved and honestly even just squatting and peeing is really hard if you don't have a penis, I will say, Car, are you good? I'm not going to ask you this. I'll just share that I'm not good at it. Um, and I've been camping yeah. and hiking yeah. my whole life and I'm terrible. Okay. 
that was off topic. So huh. one one of the great things is with a penis, you can pee standing up. Yes, correct. It's amazing. But uh, near puberty, uh, the penis's other purpose uh, emerges. And of course, I mean, people are going to pee, you know, eight times a day, uh, 20 seconds a time for the rest of their lives. So it still has that primary, primary purpose. But uh, I mean, the testicles start descending and they start developing the ability to make um, sperm and semen. And uh, the penis exercises itself to get ready. So, I mean, that's what we talk about in the book, these erections that are happening. And the penis has got to stay healthy. Um, it's got to lift its own weight, uh, just like doing its push-ups. Uh, so it finds the right time and uh, does its own sort of body exercising. So is it your understanding, because this is new to me, is it your understanding that spontaneous erections are like the body's effort to prepare for reproduction, like as a way to kind of get in shape. Is that your, is that your understanding? Well, it's kind of staying in shape. It's a, it's a large amount of blood. It's um, shunting all this blood and then holding them, holding these muscles. These sphincters are holding the blood in there. The muscles need practice and um, it just, it requires some, some work. Yeah. I mean, that's what they've, the doctors have said at nighttime, that's when a lot of the exercise sort of happens, happens the most. You know, the, there is this phenomenon called priapism, which is an erection that lasts too long. So if there's a practice scenario, if you will, the practice of having an erection and then undoing an erection, both sides of the equation are very important. And we don't have to get too far into it. But suffice it to say that, you know, an erection is not designed to last indefinitely. And because and you describe in the book in very simple terms that I think are really wonderful, this maze of blood vessels in the spongy tissue of the penis. And the maze kind of fills up, but it's got to then release all of this blood so that it, it goes from being engorged to not engorged. And that's important because you can't, you need fresh oxygen flowing into the penis in order to keep the tissues healthy. So there's this whole, like, it's not just the act of the erection, but it's also the reversal of the erection is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the corpus cavernosa, it's this um, huge maze of tissues there that, I mean, makes the penis act like a balloon. But of course, it's it's not a balloon because it has all these, it says urethra and all these other sensation but basically has to inflate to many times its size. I mean, imagine, so we have another organ in our body, not just uh, men, uh, that's almost very similar to the penis. So the penis falls in the category of muscular hydrostat. What that just means is a kind of a balloon that's covered in muscle. Hmm. And uh, I mean, we couldn't have this podcast right now without our muscular hydrostats. Um, that's your tongue. Huh. The tongue uh, has to be able to extend. It's got to be able to curve and do all these sort of strange contortions when we're speaking. It's also has no bones because it has to be super flexible like mm. that. So we, I mean, we spent two years to a couple of years figuring out how to use our tongue to speak. Um, so the penis has got to have its time to sort of, you know, get the blood in there as well. Elephant trunks too. They're also another example of a muscular hydrostat. Oh, that's so interesting. The so, entire so trunk, you know, almost two meters long evolved out of something similar to our own nose uh, to be engorged with blood and extend. And wow. elephants... I don't think they call it an erection anymore, but they're, they're using their nose, but they can extend their nose by almost, imagine your arm can reach something, they extend it by 20% just huh? by- Oh, that would be so you know, convenient. 
for the upper shelves. Wait, yeah. David, so just to clarify for anyone listening who does not know this, even though there is a common term called a boner, aka the scientific term is an erection, penises in human beings do not have bones. But there are other animals whose penises do have bones, which I did not know until reading your book. Can you talk about that distinction? That's right. So primates, we evolved from animals with no bones. I mean, it, they are very stiff because, because the sphincters are working very hard and squeezing and holding the blood in there. But uh, a lot of animals, for, I think dogs are an example and bears, they have something called a baculum, a penis bone. They're actually highly prized by collectors. I mean, they're you can buy them. I think they use them for toothpicks and other kind of utensils out there. Um, oh my god! You, get two, you can use the chopsticks <laughs> or something like that. It's very rare to have a single bone in the body. Bones usually come in pairs. I mean, ear bones and everything else. But these baculums are there because um, animals have all sorts of interesting. I mean, sexual rituals. I mean, for example, lionesses. Sometimes they have to have sex a hundred times a day. Oh my when god, that sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> Well, they only have sex for a couple seconds at a time. So don't worry. That's all right, David. My husband doesn't listen to the podcast, so it's fine. I can say whatever. <laughs> so uh, imagine if you're a lioness and that's and if you're a lion with a pride, I mean, you have maybe 10 lionesses and they all go into heat. They each need to have sex 100 times a day. You know, a balloon probably is not just going to cut it. Uh, you need to have a bone in there. But so then they never go fully flaccid. They're always somewhat erect for animals that have a, a bone. Yeah. Luckily, they ret- they also retract it into their bodies. Um, like the red rocket you mentioned. Um, <laughs> it, stays, uh, in its, <laughs> it stays in its la- la- launching pad until it's ready. <laughs> I, I, really... I just want to state the obvious. You are a fantastic anatomical storyteller. Like Some people think science is dry. And I just want to say, if not when you're talking to David, a hundred (laughs) percent, if you think science is dry, you thought wrong. This is amazing. So without reading the whole book on this podcast, and essentially we have walked through the whole book because, but it's like, you have to get it. It's it's, so good. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a must read, but it's sort of, can we land in a place where you tell us how your 12 year old son feels about you being the author of a book about penises, because I'm happy to share how my 12-year-old son felt when I was the author of a book that had an erection section. He's now 18 and he's over it, but I wonder if you had the same reaction in your house. I mean, I told him I was writing this book, um, but when I brought the finished product home, he just, he read the entire thing, uh, cover to cover. And uh, he's formed a little club. I mean, our fencing coach has two kids who are much younger and they're they're not old enough to read it, but their father reads it to them. And uh, oh. I mean, they're they're addicted to this book. They ask every day, can you read the P word? <laughs> can you read the P word? Uh, okay. Because they're actually, I mean, his um his kids actually got in trouble at school for um pulling down their pants and sort of showing off their penis. So they wanted an outlet to like explore it. And they needed this. Um, oh. This kind of validated their sort of exploration, their spirit. So it's part of their household now. I am so jealous. That is an amazing, amazing reaction. Wait, but wait, David, how did your daughter react? Okay, part B. Um, she's uh, flipped through it um, a little bit. 
I don't know if she, I haven't talked to her too much about it. I'm not sure if she read it, but uh, I think the the fact that he's talking about it less to her because usually he just brings up the penis all the time just to sort of talk about it in front of her. And now that he has a place, he's kind of like seen that movie, so he doesn't need to like sort of talk about it all the time. So I think it, I think it's things are good. Well, once you write your book about how you don't pee out of your vagina, she's gonna be she's gonna be right there. They're each gonna have their own movie to talk about. I wish this book had existed when my kids were younger. I cannot wait. I'm gonna like scatter copies of it all over my house for anyone who comes to visit. <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. And here's what I love about it. And we tell listeners this all the time because people always ask, how old should my kid be when I start talking about penises or vaginas or consent or, you know, anatomical body parts or any of that. And we always say, start as soon as you can. Like they can never be too young to understand the names of their bodies and how their bodies work. And kids love understanding the science. I think adults really underserve kids by assuming they're not interested in understanding how things work and the science behind them. And when kids have the privilege of understanding the science, they are like so psyched and so engaged and so fascinated. And you've given people a gift in explaining all different kinds of science in a really accessible way. I mean, this is the ultimate bedtime reading, the P word. And the adults who are going to be reading it to the younger kids, they are secretly learning. These are things, right? These are shameful topics that shouldn't be shameful. These are things that were never spoken about in most houses. And even in the most open homes, where everyone talks about everything, there are fun facts in here that take everyone by surprise. So it's a fun read. It's a necessary book on the bookshelf. Do you have a youngest age that you would recommend it for? Down to kind of age? Well, my fencing coach's kids, uh, I mean, they were three and four and five. I was going to say three. I was going to say preschool. It's perfect. I think the picture's they can be appreciated. And it's a good word for bonding. I mean, parents can read this. It's not very long, but it's got some concepts that are just going to just wow, wow them. I mean, the how do pilots pee in an airplane? What do they do? How do astronauts pee? How different animals have penises? I mean, I think every kid knows what a cat is and they'll know what a cat penis looks like from this book. And thank you for explaining why cat urine smells so bad. Thank you for that. I was like, no wonder it smells so bad. They've got to accumulate all the stuff that went on during the day. It's like the Twitter's got that 40 40 (laughs) character limit. Uh, P, unfortunately, does not have any such limit. It's packed full of information. What's it called? Uranine? What's the special cat pee ingredient? Felonine or something like that? Oh, felonine. Felonine. Yes, that was really... But they're also really good at getting out there because they can... Somehow they can evert their penis or their genitals, but they can basically make it into a little spray gun and spray like large portions. Like they have a, like at zoos, they just spray the entire wall. So rather than just a little puddle, imagine you have it just coated over like five times a surface. I'm going to choose to use the word fascinating instead of disgusting. But by saying fascinating, I mean a little bit. Ooh. <laughs> it's just the smell of cat pee. They can do whatever they want. I just don't like the smell. So anyways, David, that's not your problem. Oh, yeah, they're very territorial. I mean, they'd be mean business with that pee. 
Yeah, it's just another way that cats are like rule, secretly ruling yeah. the world and controlling us <laughs> yeah. all. David, thank you so much. When you're ready to write the next book, let us know and we will have you on to talk about your The urethras. V word. The V word. Yes. I mean, and maybe it's the U that, word. I don't. No, we got to get the word Vanessa. out. <laughs> we got. You're the it's best. 21st century. You need your own TV show where you just talk about. And every question I asked, which I didn't know if you knew the answer to, I was like, I didn't think the sloth question was going to like take us down that amazing rabbit hole. And I'm so happy because that's was, the other thing that I send my son are videos of sloths. So now it's I a can sloth tell hole, actually. It's not it's a, a sloth hole. David, we're so excited for the book. Come back and visit us with anything you want to talk about ever because you explain science in the most fun way. And it is such, such a treat. Thank you so much. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks, Kara. Hope your days are filled with a uh, penis joy. <laughs> we absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom um shorts or the Oom um socks or the Oom um bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.